I'd like you to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Paul's been on this bent for a couple of chapters. You know, he established his credentials. He started the Corinthian church. He went and visited them. That first visit was a little rough. The first Corinthians is a corrective to the Corinthian church. Paul had established a church and gotten away and heard some things that were going on. So he writes 1 Corinthians. And if you have not read 1 Corinthians as a corrective to what they're doing, you're probably missing a lot of the truths that are in 1 Corinthians. Paul literally is saying, okay, you guys are doing fine, but you've strayed a little bit, and I'm not sure you got everything right, and so there's some things you need to pay attention to. Just like any healthy church, there are areas that they need some work in. Well, 1 Corinthians was Paul's instructions on how to get back in line and how to remain true to the teaching he gave him. So he was supposed to go visit them. He didn't. He couldn't make it. The Lord had other plans in mind. They got a little bit upset, and Paul heard that they got upset, so he wrote 2 Corinthians. And so 2 Corinthians picks up sometime after 1 Corinthians, and Paul is literally saying, okay, you're doing better. I know you're upset because I'm not there, but, you know, I love you, and I trust that Christ is in you. I know Christ is in me, and we're going to build upon this relationship we have with Jesus Christ. Meanwhile, some other people have come in that are critical of Paul. They criticize him for the way he speaks, the way he looks. But their main criticism of Paul is that he must not be an apostle because his life is a shambles. He's under arrest, he's in prison, he's been beaten, he's been tortured, people have kicked him out of town, he's been stoned. And these people are saying, well, look at him. You know, he calls himself an apostle. What kind of authority does he have? Nobody listens to him. Everybody's mad at him all the time. He's ugly. He's short. He doesn't have a very good... I mean, they're just heaping these things. And, and that's had some influence on the Corinthian church. Now, you have to understand why it had the influence to begin with. Number one, they were mad at him. Did you catch that? They got upset with him, and the teachers came in and said, he's not really an apostle. And being typical human beings, they went, oh, yeah, you know, you're probably right. Now that you mention it, yeah. And and not only is he short, but he he didn't come and visit us. So they allowed, you know, they allowed that offense to, to be built upon. And so there were whispers in the corners of the Corinthian church. Uh, there were things going on that were ungodly, and, and the, the church has not abandoned Paul. They haven't given up on him, but they've allowed, they've allowed their anger to be fed. So Paul comes back with 2 Corinthians, says, you guys are doing okay, you're doing better. Christ is in you, he's in me, this is going to be okay. We all know better, I just need to remind you of it. And he establishes his credentials as an apostle, and he does that in the first three chapters, he does it well. Uh, he begins turning the corner in chapter 4. In chapter 5, he starts teaching. He starts teaching what it means to be a Christian and what it is to have a Christian witness. And by the time we get to the middle of chapter 5, you know, we're asking the question, what seizes you? Paul says, I'm controlled by the love of Christ. And that word for control has some physicality to it. There's, there's a violent nature to it. What, what seizes you? Paul is seized by the love of Christ. And even as we watch Paul walk this out, in chapter 6, he's going to start telling us what that looks like. As we watch him walk that out, we, we have to ask ourselves, what am I seized by? 
What controls me? And, you know, the no-brainer answer is, if it's anything other than the love of Christ, well, maybe I'm allowing myself to be seized by the wrong thing. So, in chapter 6, you know, we, we have this seizing, this controlling in chapter 5. In chapter 5, Paul tells us that we are ambassadors for Christ. We're ambassadors for the love of Christ. We're ambassadors for the gospel. We're ambassadors. We're messengers for God. Well, what do ambassadors do? They represent the one who sent them. They represent the kingdom that sent them. They are to portray the kingdom that they live in to the people that they are sent to be ambassadors to. So we're going to, we're going to look at what that means to be an ambassador today. Last week's sermon was what seizes you. Today's sermon is widen your hearts. They need their hearts widened, and we'll, we'll see how narrow they've become. Our passage, chapter 6, and we're going to move through the next few chapters fairly quickly. Divided up into two sections. First section is verses 1 through uh, 13, and we'll find out that widen your hearts, we're ambassadors. We've got two reminders of what, what type of ambassadors we are, and verses 1 through 13 tells us that we are ambassadors in His strength, in the strength of God. And verses 14 through, through 18, we find out that we serve in his presence. We serve in his strength, and we serve in his presence, his presence because we are ambassadors. So, let's take a look at point one. We serve in his strength. Paul says, working together with him. Now, we found out that He's controlled by the love of Christ. We found out that he's an ambassador. Uh, we're going to see that we're, we're supposed to emulate him. But he says, working together with him then. Now, we have to understand exactly what Paul's doing here. Paul is saying, I'm working with God. I'm controlled by the love of Christ. The love of Christ permeates everything that I do. So, I am working with him. Now, what does it mean working with him? Are him and God buddies? Is, is, is he looking at God saying, well, God, don't worry, I got this, you get that over there. Let, let, he's saying, working in union with God. Now, I'll go back to my childhood again. My grandfather, once he retired, started working in the garden. My grandfather had what we would all call a green thumb. You know, we lived in Ohio, the climate wasn't so great. My grandfather could grow, grow roses this big. And he could make them with, with two different tones, and, and he, he would splice them together. He, tomato plants, whatever he grew, it just got huge. And my grandfather showed me how to do that. So I would go out in, in the summertime, and I'd work in the garden with my grandfather. Now, we were co-workers, right? We're both working in the same soil, both doing the same thing, but I didn't know anything. My grandfather knew everything about gardening. So I followed him around. I did whatever he told me to do. He had the knowledge, I didn't. He had the experience, I didn't. I was working with my grandfather, but I was working under my grandfather. He was the authority. And when he started getting into the deeper stuff, showed me how to graft roses together, take a yellow rose and a red rose and come out with a tea rose, I, I was just absolutely fascinated by that stuff. And not only did I get a chance to work with my grandfather, but our relationship grew deeper as well. Paul's saying, that's what I'm doing with my Father in heaven. I'm working with him. 
He's the one who has the experience. He's the one who has the wisdom. He's the one who has all of the knowledge. I don't know any of this. Without him, I am lost in what I'm called to do. I am working together with him. Then we appeal to you. Uh, it's a royal we. Paul is talking about himself here. But I believe he does this very purposefully so that we will understand that he's talking about us. He's talking about all of us who follow Christ, who are ambassadors for Christ, who should be controlled by his love, who should be working with God. We appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. So what Paul says is being obedient to God. I'm, I'm doing my best to do what he says, to follow him, to do the things that he calls me to do. And I don't want to do this in a vacuum. I don't want to receive the grace he's given me for nothing. Now, what he's saying is, I don't want to receive the grace that he's given me just for me. It's not just about me. I'm an ambassador. My job is to portray my father to these people that I have been placed among. So we keep on talking about being a vessel of mercy and grace. That's what Paul is called to be. He says, I want, to, I want this stuff to pour out from me. These things that I learn as I work with my Father, I want to flow from me. I'm called to be an ambassador and the kingdom that I'm an ambassador for, the, the king that I am an ambassador for, needs to just permeate everything that I do. So that when people look upon me, they see my Lord Jesus Christ. That's Paul's calling. Why is he so passionate about this? Verse 2, For in a favorable time I listened to you, and in a day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is a favorable time. Behold, now is a day of salvation. Now, if you've ever been to an evangelistic meeting, you might have heard this, this verse quoted. Now is the time of salvation. You know, don't worry, the buses will wait. You know, you don't know what's going to happen when you go outside. All that's true. That's good, but I want you to look at the context of what's going on here. Paul said, I'm doing all this because of what Isaiah said. Elder Doug read it a little bit earlier. Now, it, it, it's kind of curious, uh, just as an aside, Paul is quoting from the, the Septuagint here, the Greek version of the Old Testament. Uh, so Paul was schooled in the Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament, and that that kind of gives us validity to the translations we use. The, the Old Testament was not originally written in Greek, but he's, Paul's quoting from the Greek. So here, here's what the situation was in Isaiah chapter 49. Israel was in trouble again. <laughs> you know, they're, they're, they're captive. Things aren't looking very good. And they did what they always do. They cry out to the Lord. And the Lord does what he always does because he's faithful and true. When we cry out to him with, with a contrite heart, when, when we recognize our own weakness, when we recognize our inability to save ourselves and cry out to him, God answers. When we repent, God answers. Well, he did that in Israel. And God delivered them. But if you know Israel's history, you know that that was temporary. 
they got in trouble again. I mean, you, you go from, from what they were struggling with to the Romans, and uh, I mean, it just goes on and on and on. They're, they're constantly being taken captive. Well, God delivers them. And so, you know, what Paul is saying is saying that prayer that Israel prayed back in, in uh, Isaiah's time was answered temporally, was answered on a temporary basis uh, by being delivered from their situation then, but they got right into trouble again. We all know that. So the Jews would completely understand what Paul's saying here. Paul is saying, now that prayer has been answered eternally. Today is the salvation that Israel was looking for. Today is the eternal move of God in His Son, in and through His Son, and that's who I'm an ambassador of, the one who's brought eternal salvation. So, yes, Israel was in serious trouble. Paul's saying, yes, I'm in serious trouble, but you know what? Salvation is here, and it's now. It's today. God has already moved. And the challenge in that is to the Corinthian church is what are you going to do about it? What are you going to do about the fact that you've been saved by this incredible grace? And it rings right down into us today. What are we going to do about our salvation? Did God save us just so that we would feel better about who we are? Did he save us so that, that we might become better people? <laughs> He saved us for his glory. And, and the question that comes right after that is, well, what are we going to do? How do we honor God in how we handle that? Well, Paul, as he usually does, he just turns around and starts using his own life as an example. And the first thing we see is in verses 3 through 10, how Paul handles his accusers. Paul's under fire here. You know, that's the context of all this. Paul is literally saying, look, watch, watch what I'm going to do. And he turns the tables on his, his accusers, and, and he teaches us a lesson at the same time. See, remember, they're accusing him of not being an apostle. They've got all these reasons why he's not an apostle. But the primary one is because of all the trouble he's going through. And Paul just whips that right around and says, you know what? The trials that I'm going through, all the trouble that I'm going through are actually the proof that I'm an apostle. Well, you want to talk about sound bites. He had this mastered long before there were any, any recorders. He said, hey, you know, they're telling me this is a problem. I'm telling you it's proof of my calling. And he goes on further in verses 3 through 10 to say, I, I never would have survived without the grace of God. Now, listen to what he did. He's not attacking the accusers. He said, I never would have survived without the grace of God. They accused me of not being apostle. I'm telling you, I wouldn't have survived without the grace of God. The unspoken defense is, the grace of God is with me. You know everything I've been through. I mean, they've been talking about it while I was gone. You know that nobody can survive that unless God's hand is upon him. He's done it gently. He's done it respectfully. He has not lashed out in anger. Paul says, I can't do this of my own strength. I can't make these things happen. So he shows his gratitude to the Father. He shows his gentleness to the Corinthian church. And in verse 3 he says, 
We put no obstacle in anyone's way so that no fault will be found with our ministry. He's saying, I don't want to be a stumbling block. These people have actually been stumbling blocks for you. Look at all of this strife in the church. Look at what's going on. I don't want to be a stumbling block so that there'll be no fault found in my ministry. Look, he's not talking about being afraid of what people think about him. He's not worried that people think there's something wrong with his ministry. He's worried that as he stands before the Father, the Father finds no fault in his ministry. Paul has no fear of men. What he's concerned about is what God thinks about him. Boy, think how that would dominate our day. If our only concern was what God thought about us. See, Paul is showing them this is what an ambassador looks like. Emulate him. You know, uh, I mean, later on in Ephesians, you're going to imitate me as I imitate Christ. That would be arrogant if Paul wasn't so open about how he has no strength and, and has no capability to do this on his own. This is what an ambassador looks like. This is how we act. So, and then he goes into this commendation again in every way. He says, as a servant of God, once to recognize that God is his king, as servants of God, uh, let him find no fault. He says, we have in every way by great endurance. Paul says, I have endured these things. And he has this long list of things, but they cover three areas which manage to cover every area of our life. If you take a look at him, he has his endurance, his, his calling is a tough one. He's called to the lost. He's called, he's called to those who hate him. He's called to those who want to do him harm. And he wants to be gentle at all that. That's another thing that we can think about. But he says, in all these things, and, and the first area is a general area, an area that covers just life in general, afflictions, hardships, and calamities. Paul's saying, I've had endurance in the way I live in this world because affliction, hardship, and damage will come upon those who live in this world. Now, we need to understand this. We need to embrace this because there are people in the church who will tell you that if you love Jesus Christ, everything's going to be okay. It's not. There will be trials. We are guaranteed there will be trials. Now, listen to me carefully. If you're not going through a trial, it's okay. It doesn't mean you have to have a trial to, to prove that you're a Christian, okay? But we need to understand that there will be trials because if we're not expecting them, if we're thinking that God's going to take care of us, that he's going to shelter us, when the trials come, we're going to get blindsided. We're going to have a crisis in our faith. If you think God loves you so much, he's just going to give you everything that you want. He's going to give you the desires of your heart and your spouse gets sick. You know, there's only one or two things that you can assume if you're expecting God to act a certain way and things don't go that way that you expect Him to. Number one, either God's not doing His job or I'm not saved. Neither one of those are true. We live in a fallen world. Trials, hardships, and calamities may very well come our way and we need to keep our, our sights on Christ when it happens. So, Paul has endured living in the world in a general way. He's also endured, endured personal hardship. 
Look, the next three are beatings, imprisonments, and riots. I mean, people are beating Paul up. They hate him so much, they just beat him when they come. They're, they throw him in prison. They torture him. There are riots when he starts to speak. The, the Romans are there arresting people. They're rescuing him, throwing him in prison so that the, the crowd can't get to him and beat him up. Paul's saying, look, I've had personal trials. People, people hate me just because of the gospel. So the idea that, that somebody's going to come up with a bestseller on the New York Times list that talks about the gospel and that millions and millions of people are going to read it and that that's effective is kind of contrary to what Paul's saying. You know, anytime you see one of these I, I went to heaven books and or, you know, Jesus is talking to me books uh, and they're skyrocketing and millions of people are buying it and we think it's outreach. The gospel is an offense to the world. People don't like it. When we boil it down to the point to where it's palatable, when we boil it down to the point to where the, the masses embrace it, we've probably denied it all of its strength. Take a look at those books and you see, you, you look for where repentance is in those books. Jesus talks to me every morning. What's he say? He tells me how much he loves me. He tells me how great I am. I'd like that. You know, tell me how much you love me. Tell me how great I am. Tell me how, what a wonderful person I am. You know, there's enough truth in that. God does love us. We are great. We are wonderful people. We're not wonderful people because of who we are. We're wonderful people because of who Jesus is. People don't like that. People don't like, I have to repent. You know, I mean, people don't like recognizing sin. Pick up the paper and take a look at it this afternoon. So Paul has endured general trials. He's endured personal trials. And Paul has had trials in self-discipline. Check this out. In labors, sleepless nights, and hunger. What's he talking about here? Paul said, look, I've had to work hard. This is not easy. You know, I'm relying on his strength. I'm relying on his presence. I'm relying on his grace. But I have to participate. Some participation is required. I've got to work at this. When he talks about labor, he's talking about the early part of his ministry where uh, he would go in and preach the gospel during the day and at night he would work with his hands. We call him a tent maker. He might have been working with leather. He might have actually been making tents. There are a number of things he could have been doing. But Paul said, this is hard work. I've had to discipline myself to do the work. I want to, I want to be able to preach the gospel. I want to be able to teach. But I also have to support him. Now, later on in, in, his, in his ministry, Paul lived off the donations of churches. So, but it wasn't until he had a number of churches. And, you know, Paul never went into a town and said, well, I want to preach the gospel to you. Will somebody give me some money? He took money from the church in the previous town he was in, one that was already established. So God finances his own ministry. We don't go to the lost trying to finance our ministry. That's something that we do here at WBF. We don't go out into town saying, will you, will you give us money so we can go on a mission trip? So if we can't finance it, if God doesn't supply us with the, the support that we need for that, then maybe we shouldn't be involved in that ministry. But Paul says, I've worked. I've worked hard at this. 
He's also, he's also had sleepless nights. Uh, part of that has to do with the tent making that he talked about. And he talks about hunger. Now, the interesting thing about this is he's not talking about just being hungry. He's not talking about sometimes I didn't have food. Uh, the word he uses for hunger is the same word he uses in Romans and in Philippians for fasting. So what Paul's saying is, I've had to discipline my body. I've had to discipline my spirit. And that has been a trial. If you want to see how much of a trial that's been for Paul, all you have to do is take a look at Romans chapter 7. Where throughout the entire chapter he's saying, look, there's a battle between my flesh and my spirit. And sometimes the flesh wins. I don't want it to be that way, but I don't have that much control. I am so desperately in need of God's grace and God's strength that I can't even avoid doing the things that I don't want to do. So Paul's personal discipline has been a trial at times. How does he get through this? How do you handle this? Well, we find out in verse 6 and 7. He endures it through the, the godly attributes that he strives to exhibit. Now listen to that. He endures it through the godly attributes that he strives to exhibit. Paul is always striving to show Jesus Christ around him. Now, he's not always successful at it. Again, we go back to Romans 7 and see that. 7 and 8, as a matter of fact. Okay? He's not always successful at it, but his desire is to portray Christ. So, he wants to portray Christ in purity. He wants to have a guilt-free ministry. So, he doesn't want to have to go through this struggle all the time. And the older Paul gets, you can see the, the, the more blessed he is in those areas. So, he wants to do it in purity. He wants to do it in knowledge. And, and we're not just talking about academic smarts here. Paul's talking about the type of knowledge that it takes to exist in this world. Uh, the type of knowledge it takes, it, it, we would call it street smarts. Yeah, Paul says, I, I try to be all things to all men. He's not saying that he compromises. He's not saying that he dilutes things. He's trying to say that I try to relate to people at their level. I want to be able to talk to them. I want them to be able to understand me so I don't talk above them. This is one of the reasons why Paul works so hard at not getting angry. I, I mean, when you're trying to talk to somebody and you get angry, what happens? I, I'll tell you what I think happens. I think every time I get angry, I think the person's going to look at me and go, oh my gosh, you are so wise. I didn't realize how stupid I was. Thank you for helping me. I think that every time. It has never happened once in my life. <laughs> All it does is make the other person angry. Paul's saying, don't do that. Come down to their level. Treat them like Christ would treat them. Talk at their level. Maybe their level's higher. Maybe you need a little bit more preparation. Maybe their level's lower. Maybe you need to be a little simpler. Paul says, I'm all things to all men. He's not naive. He's not trying to be worldly. He's trying to keep his eyes on Christ. He wants to minister in patience and kindness. Now, I want to minister in patience and kindness. You do too, amen? Paul's talking about being patient and kind to those people that oppose you. He's talking about being patient and kind to the people who put you in prison. Patient and kind to the people that just beat you up. The ones that threw the stones at you. The ones that broke every bone in your foot. It's easy to be patient and kind to the people that like you. 
Paul said, I want patience and kindness to be an attribute that flows from me. He wants to show his dependence upon the Holy Spirit, working in harmony with the Holy Spirit and with the gifts he has, which means that Paul has to be satisfied with the gifts he's been given. He doesn't have to be striving for someone else's gifts. He's not comparing himself to someone else. He's saying, here's what God has given me to do. And I'm going, to, I'm going to emulate the Holy Spirit and let the Holy Spirit flow from me in everything that God's given me. And I'm not going to worry about what I don't have. I'm going to concentrate on what I do have. That means you don't have to go to a, a, a class to learn what your gifts of the Spirit are. That means nobody's going to teach you how to be a healer. Nobody's going to teach you how to be more compassionate. Your reliance has to be on the Holy Spirit and in Him working through you. And whatever gift God has given you, maybe God's given you the gift of taking out the trash. You take out the trash to His glory. And you watch, when you start operating in those gifts, people start noticing, well, thank you for doing that. We saw it happen time and time again down at Stories in the Park. People just come up and saying, you know, people saying things that we didn't even notice. The number of people that came up and said, we just think it's incredible you have so many different churches here. We've never seen this. I mean, it, 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 was, just, it, it was like they had all practiced this speech. This town needs more of this. They begin to recognize the giftings as we begin to let them flow. So he wants, to, he wants to minister in the Holy Spirit. He wants to minister in genuine love. This is not self-serving love. This is not, I love you because of how you make me feel. It's not, yeah, well, I'll love you if you love me. It's not, when you don't love me, I'm, I, I won't love you. I'm going to love you unconditionally. I'm going to love you with an agape love, a godly type love, genuine love, not self-serving love. He wants to minister in truthful speech. He doesn't want to denigrate the name of the Lord. He doesn't want to minimize the, the word of God. He wants his, his, the, the words he says to be truthful and reliable and dependable. And he wants for the people that he says them to to be able to open up their Bibles and find that truth. It's what the Bereans were all about. And finally, he wants to minister in the power of God. He wants to minister in the power of God. He doesn't want to make anything happen. He doesn't want to do anything under his own strength. He recognizes he doesn't have the strength. He doesn't have the capability to do this on his own. You know, that's something we kind of fool ourselves with, isn't it? I can do this. I, maybe, maybe you don't. I do. I can do this. Step aside, God. I got it. I know you're busy. Okay? I can't make anything happen eternally under my own strength. I'm totally reliant on the Holy Spirit. I'm relying on the Holy Spirit right now to come and touch your heart because I can't touch your heart. See, now, John plays the drums. John. Okay. If he's playing the drums because drums make him feel good, which I know he's not, okay, uh, he's not relying on the Holy Spirit. He's relying on his capability to do it. But if you take a look at him when he's sitting back there, his eyes are half closed most of the time. He's got this huge smile on his face. He's just enjoying the presence of God while he's playing the drums. And through that, he ministers to us. Each one of you has a gift like that. We all have a gift that if we just surrender it up to the Father and allow him to flow through us, everybody gets ministered to. Again, we saw it at Stories in the Park. 
nearly 100 people coming out to put little lights in bags. What is that? <laughs> I put a little light in a bag last night. Yet I'm standing at the top of the steps and this, this older woman comes down and she gets halfway down the steps. She looks at me and she goes, I am so thankful that somebody put these lights in these bags because I can't see. Will you thank that person for me? I'm like, oh my God. I said, you know, there's cat litter in the bag too. <laughs> I mean, God's got to do something with that, right? That reliance on him, Paul is saying, I'm relying on the power of God in everything that I do. So that striving to portray God gets Paul through everything. It gets him through every extreme that life can throw at you. Listen to this carefully. That striving to honor God, that striving that we have in our hearts to emulate the Holy Spirit and be a reflection of His attributes will get us through everything life will throw at us. Look what Paul says. Through honor and dishonor. These are all the extremes. Through slander and praise. Neither one of those is going to affect me. I mean, sometimes we're more in danger of being affected by praise than we are slander. Amen? Okay? We're treated as imposters, yet we're true. As unknown, yet well-known. As dying, and behold, we live. As punished, and yet not killed. As sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. As poor, yet making many rich. As having nothing, yet possessing everything. You realize if you got a hold of Jesus Christ, you have everything? In verses 11 through 13, Paul says, My heart is wide open to you. I know there's some tension, but my heart is wide opening to you. My, I, I want to go by the leading of the Spirit. I want to go, uh, my heart to be open to the holiness of God. I want my heart to be open to His calling upon me and His capability flowing through me. I want my heart to be wide open to His testimony. I want my heart to be wide open to you. And I want my love for you to come through. He has no restrictions. This is huge. He says to the Corinthians, my love for you has no restrictions. It's not conditional on anything you've said or anything you've done. Ooh. There's a life lesson. My love for you is not conditional on anything you've said or anything you've done. But they have allowed restrictions on their love for Paul. He feels the tension. And, and here's the key. He feels the tension, and it's okay. You see? Although he feels the tension, he's not allowing it to restrict how he feels about them. Oh, my gosh. You mean my spouse can be mad at me and I don't have to be mad at him or her? <gasps> you mean the guy on the TV might be saying something that really inflames me and I don't have to be mad? Are you trying to tell me that when somebody has hurt me, when somebody disagrees with me, when somebody has offended me, when somebody has 
thrown me in prison and broken my legs, stoned me to the point that where all my friends thought I was dead, that not only do I not have to be mad at them, if I'm going to reflect Christ, there will be no restrictions on my love for them. Brothers and sisters, we can change the world if we would stop allowing those restrictions to withhold the grace of God flowing through us. Don't get mad at the TV. Don't get upset at Facebook. Show them Jesus Christ. Oh, Paul has no restrictions. They've got him. So what's he tell them to do? He doesn't say, get over it. He doesn't say, you know what? you got no reason to be mad at me. He says, widen your hearts. <laughs> widen your hearts. My heart is wide open. Widen your hearts. Allow the love of Christ that controls you to flow through you. If you keep on going with these restrictions, it's going to eat you up. Not the people you're mad at. Widen your hearts. You know, we had, we had a daughter... 1983, Ruth was born. I couldn't imagine loving anybody more than my daughter. She was everything. So Kelly got pregnant with Jason. And throughout the entire pregnancy, I was like, I don't know. You know, I don't think I can love anybody as much as I love my daughter. I don't know what's going to happen with, with this one. And the minute they handed him to me, the Lord widened my heart. Nothing I could do about that. I can, you know, get, yeah, I mean, Paul's been talking about emulating Christ, following his attributes. As we allow that to happen, our hearts widen. God gives us what we need when we need it. And I was able to love my son as much as my daughter, as much as my wife. And I give, I give God all the glory for that. Not because I'm a spiritual person, but because the Holy Spirit moved on me. It can happen to you. Paul's, Paul's saying, I trust Christ in you enough that, to know that he will widen your heart. Put no restrictions. Put no hindrance. Let the love of Christ flow through you. Paul wants them to serve the same way he does, in God's strength. He wants them to be ambassadors in his strength. See, that was our reminder number one of how we're supposed to be ambassadors. We are ambassadors in his strength. Why? Well, we can't do it on our own. But, but they've restricted how strong God is in how they serve. How did they get that way? How did they get that way? How, how did these weaknesses come up? You know, we can get distracted. This is what happened to them. They got distracted from what the Holy Spirit is doing. They took their eyes off Christ. Put their eyes on their situation. They listened to whispers. They listened to, to the world around them. And, and that sounded pretty good. The world around us always does sound pretty good. It sounds desirable. You want to make more money? Do this. You want to have more friends? Do this. You want to be happy in your life? Do this over here. And, and, and it's easy to follow those paths. Paul's saying, that's not the way to, for all that to happen. Well, they've allowed it to happen. And Paul's trying to bring them back in line. So, what, what do we do about it? Well, we understand our second reminder that we are ambassadors in His presence. 
Listen, as ambassadors, we're called to live among the people, but not become one with the people. Amen? We're called to live in this world, but not become one with the world. We are representatives. We have a different agenda. We live differently. We strive to live differently. We speak differently. We strive to speak differently. We have different priorities. We have to be thinking about them all the time, but our priorities are structured differently than the priorities of the world because our priority is Jesus Christ and the truth of God's Word. Amen? Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. Don't become one with them. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? Yeah, we go to this passage here about getting married to unbelievers. That's true. It applies. But this is about how we live in the world. This is about how we live as ambassadors. What accord has Christ with Belial? What portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreements has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. This is God's presence in us. We are the temple. God indwells us. He is one with us. And we're not to become one with the world. We're not to embrace the world, unite with the world. He says, I, God says, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them and I will be their God and they shall be my people. See, we have a different temple. We have a different dwelling. And this is right out of Leviticus 26. Uh, the people have been delivered. Uh, Moses is receiving the law. He's dictating it to them. And it, there's punishment for, obe- for disobedience. But the, if they obey... He says, and I will walk among you and you will be your, I will be your God and you shall be my people. Well, we go through the history, we understand that they were unable to obey. But God sent Jesus to stand in for them. God sent Jesus to be obedient. And Jesus indwelt them. Now we're in him and he's in us. See, we have this promise when we strive when we, when we work in his strength, when we strive to elevate him, when we strive to allow him to move us, we have this promise. And it's in verses 17 and 18. Therefore, go out from their midst. Be separate from them. He's not saying isolate yourselves. Touch no unclean thing. Then I will welcome you. Strive for holiness. And I will be a father to you and you shall be sons and daughters to me says, Lord Almighty. We're one with His Son. Take a look in, in the Gospel of John. You find out that He's one with the Father. We're united with the Father. So everything we do, everything we do, everything we do, everything you did last week, everything you did last night, everything you will do later on today, and me, we do in His presence. He's everywhere. The good news is he's inside us. He's inside us, and, and we, don't, we don't have to work at this. We just have to want it. We're ambassadors in his strength because we can't do it on our own. We're ambassadors in his presence because he's inside us. You and I, We're the most important ambassadors the world has ever seen. Do you understand that? You think about yourself that way? 
You may be the most important person that someone runs into today, ever. You know why? We have eternity. The Lord is in us. And the reason He's in us is, it, 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 is not for our benefit. We, 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 we do get benefits. We, we live in His glory. We will bask in His glory forever. It's a benefit. Amen. But the reason He's in us is so He can flow through us. And as ambassadors, we have the most important message an ambassador has ever carried. So as you walk out that door today, you widen your heart. And you allow that love to flow through you. And the moment the anger... And I've been tested on this for, for two weeks now because this has been heavy on my heart. The moment that anger rises up, the moment you're about to place a restriction on what God can do through you, you just bow your head and say, Lord, help me. I can't do this on my own strength. I've proven myself over and over again that I fail when I try. I need your strength. I need your presence because you have made me an ambassador. Let's prepare for the, the table of the Lord. Hmm.